Good morning. Welcome to episode 266 of the Extraordinary Moms podcast. It's Jessica. Thanks for tuning in today. We have a fantastic guest for you. Her name is Courtney Dana. Courtney is an everyday mom who you will be able to identify with. I know that I did. She had five kids in five years. Uh huh. And even though they're older now, entering their teen years, she is still reflecting back on what got them there, how they got through those times. And also, she's a working mom. So I think that is an important dynamic to take into consideration, that she was able to do that while her kids were young and growing up, and how she was able to juggle all her various priorities. We talk about what she was intentional about as a mom, and overall, she's just extraordinary, and I loved picking her brain. So I hope you love getting to know Courtney today. All right, I'm thrilled to be welcoming Courtney Dana to the show. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Jessica. How are you? I'm fabulous. Where am I speaking to you from today? I'm calling from San Diego. Yay! I was raised in Poway. Oh, okay. Not far from me at all then. Yeah, no. My family's all still there. And hopefully we'll get back there someday. We always say that. And then, you know, 10, 12 years later, you're like, we're still working on it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great place to raise kids, that's for sure. It is. It is. And you have a a whole brood of them. And we're going to find that out. So for people that may not know you, Courtney, will you just tell me a little bit about yourself, your family, and your background? Sure. Um, I was actually raised in Phoenix, but um, we've been in San Diego for about nine years now. My husband and I have been married for 22 years, and we're the parents of five kids that were born in under five years. So I lots of times use kind of a screen name of five under five. Mm -hmm. Um, Our oldest is 16, and he is a junior in high school. And then I have triplet daughters who are 14. And then our youngest is 11, and it's a boy, and he's just started middle school. Wow. Isn't it great to be back to school? Do you love it or are you like kind of sad to be away from your children? Um, Usually I'm counting down the days to be (laughs) honest, but this year I could have gone another week or two. I hate the homework and that part of the schedule, but I do feel like um, the family runs a little bit better when we've got a little more structure. I totally agree. I yeah, I like having a little bit more of a schedule and predictability with our days um, and just having fewer hours for me to be like on on with them. It's a right. higher probability that I'm going to lose it, which is awesome. <laughs> Just yeah, being transparent. Separation helps everyone, I think. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, and I love seeing my kids at the end of their school day. It's the best. Yeah. So going back that many years, can you believe that you have a teenager now? How was early motherhood for you, and was it what you thought it would be like? It's crazy to have teenagers. It was crazy to have babies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think um, people all the time say to me, like, how do you do five? I can never do five. And I'm like, it doesn't matter how many you have. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Mm-hmm. And when I had my first one, um, we had gone through some infertility and it had been a couple years in the making. So when he came and was born and they placed him in my arms, it was like automatic love at first sight. I was crazy for him. I'm crying. My husband's crying. But it didn't mean it was easy. You know, I've kind of come from this life that was so planned, and if I just did this and this and this, the results were good. You know, if I studied hard, I got good grades. If I worked hard at school, I got promotions. And then I just had this baby and kind of had no idea what to do, and I had some anxiety and a little bit of baby blues, and it really was a tough adjustment. I still laugh. I had a friend who had three kids already, and my son was sick, and I needed to get a prescription, and it was before they had the good drive through CVS or whatever like we have now. And I could not figure out how I was supposed to go inside the pharmacy to pick up a prescription 
with this sick baby. Totally. So my sweet friend came and sat in the parking lot with her three kids and watched them while I went in. So I was a little crazy, <laughs> and it wasn't quite what I expected. But luckily, after a few months, I kind of hit my groove, and it was a lot better. But the first few months were rough. Well, and once you hit your groove, you also got pregnant again. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Is that about when that happened? Well, so we had, it had taken us so long to get pregnant with our first one, a couple years. And I was like, if it takes a couple years again, you know, I don't want the kids to be so spread apart. So I was like, first, um, right as he turned one, I'm like, we got to start treatments again. And the very first month I got pregnant with the triplets. Triplets. So it was crazy. And then I had four kids under the age of two. Okay. So tell me, I've never had a multiple birth. So tell me the difference between, that you experienced between having one baby in your belly versus three. What was that like? And you were chasing a toddler around. I can only imagine the craziness. So the beginning wasn't that much different. I had a lot more doctor's appointments. Um, But really when I first got pregnant, I was working part-time. I had the baby. But at 20 weeks... Um, I did get put on preventative bed rest and my perinatal just started me right at the second trimester. I was reading this book and it was, I was like supposed to be eating like four to 6,000 calories a day. They're like, do not eat salad. It's a waste of time and calories. (laughs) They're like ice cream. I think I was supposed to have like eight eggs a day, shakes, you know, a lot of protein. And so, um, I was gaining weight fast. I mean, I couldn't hide it at work or anything. So at 20 weeks, I stopped working, and I went on preventative bed rest. At the time, we were living in Orange County in this little two-bedroom condo. I have this 17-month-old or whatever, and um, we decided we really needed to be closer to family. And so my husband luckily was able to transfer his job, and we actually moved in with my parents in Phoenix. And that's when I really started bed rest and my mom kind of took over care because how can you be on bed rest when you're chasing a toddler around all the time? Totally. And so that part of the pregnancy, once I kind of hit about 22, 23 weeks when we moved, then the pregnancy was very different. I was supposed to have my feet up. I wasn't supposed to drive. But I was really lucky in that I didn't really have a lot of complications and I was able to carry the triplets till um, their scheduled due date of 35 weeks, or not due date, but scheduled date of 35 weeks is when my doctor delivered triplets. Wow. Yeah, that is a success by the standards of triplets, I think. Wow. And many, many moms that I hear from really struggle with worrying about how the transition will be bringing new children into the family and making sure that the children that you know you had before still feel seen and heard and you still make time for them and everything. But I mean, newborns are all consuming and I can only imagine the, con- the consumption of triplets. So how did you kind of work through that time? Because you kind of mentioned to me, it wasn't quite so easy for your son as baby after baby kept coming home. <laughs> yeah, we had to laugh because I was in the hospital for about five days after they were delivered. And then um, our sea baby, who was the smallest, Kate, she was five pounds, came home with me. And the other two had to stay behind. They were in the NICU and then moved to like continuing care. So then at two and a half weeks, Paige came home. And then at three and a half weeks, Ellie came home, and I think he had no idea what was going on. (laughs) All he knew is I'd leave, and I'd come home with a baby. And so after that third baby came home, for a little while, he'd start panicking every time I left the house, like, do not bring any more (laughs) So did you do anything? I mean, it's hard to reason with a not even two-year-old yet. So what did you do to kind of pay attention to him and reassure him and create any sense of stability during that difficult time? 
the lucky thing for me is, I mean, babies are so time consuming. When they came home, it would take 30 minutes each to feed them. And they were on a three hour schedule and I had to feed them one at a time. I wasn't breastfeeding, but, um, just to take a bottle even. So that'd be like an hour and a half of feeding. You get an hour and a half off and then you had to start all over again. So obviously one person could not do all that and change diapers and rock babies to sleep and take care of a one-year-old who still very much needed a mother. But I luckily was not doing it alone. One, I was living, you know, with my parents and I even had a teenage brother home. And so they helped a lot, especially my mom. And then we also had one of my mom's neighbors, both of her kids were in college. And I remember I had two babies at home and two still in the hospital and I wanted to be able to go to the hospital to visit every day. And the hospital was about 20 minutes away. I'd had a C-section. I wasn't allowed to drive yet. And my mom said, why don't you ask Colleen? I bet she'll drive you. Well, Colleen just became a godsend too because she agreed. So she'd come to the hospital with me every day and we'd hold babies. And then once they came home, she continued Monday to Friday to come over every day for a few hours. And some days she'd just play with Seth. Other days, you know, she'd be feeding. So between my mom and Colleen and I during the day, we really could tag team so that each of the kids were getting a lot of individual attention. And we had a great time together. We were laughing and really, um, it's interesting when I look at the after time for my three, three different births, I had a lot of anxiety after both of my boys' births. And I had a lot of stress after the girls having NICU babies. One of them had some health issues. I had stress, but I never had the anxiety. And I think Hmm. it's because I was totally surrounded by other people and I didn't feel alone. And my husband was awesome too. He really didn't focus as much on the girls. Like he'd help feed them at night, but he would be at work all day. But the minute he'd get home, he was all about our son and giving him a lot of one-on-one attention that was needed. And that was kind of our priority. I said, I'll manage these girls right now. You make sure that Seth feels like he's still a big, huge priority to us. And so that's how we kind of manage that. Yeah, that's that's great. And that is a really interesting comparison. Having five under five and three different birth experiences, you know, being able to compare that postpartum phase and and the consequences of surrounding yourself with people versus not or, you know, maybe putting higher expectations on yourself, bringing home a brand new baby that you're supposed to be so excited about for that very first time. And then you're like, this is actually really hard. And I actually don't really know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, just as you kind of yeah, shift perspectives and yeah, just logistically having more people around. That's that's a great tip. And so um, I really like to advise mothers to put people and things into place before you enter a phase that you know is going to be challenging. You know, so if you know that you're prone to anxiety or depression, making an appointment with a mental health professional, putting that on the calendar at, you know, two to four, six weeks postpartum before you need it. So you can have that check-in because when you're in the thick of it, you hardly know what you need, right? Yeah, you can't give your head above water, barely, much less try to think ahead. So yeah, I think it's a huge difference if you can, if you can recognize, and then also if the people around you can recognize where you are. I know after I had my first, I mean, I really was kind of crazy. And in the hospital, I was crying every day that I was having to leave the nurses. And then the day I came home, I was crying every day that my mom was going to be leaving in a week. And she called my sister and was like, you got to get down here. I actually wasn't even alone with Seth, like, for a full day for a month. You know, my in-laws came. I went to my parents. And that's just what I needed to manage. And I was glad that the people around me recognized, like, okay, she needs a little extra help right now. Let's give it to her, and she'll be fine. You know, she'll make her way. But right now, let's make sure she has the help she needs. Yeah, that's amazing. 
And I mean, you seem like a doer and somebody that, you know, would probably be a great friend to others. How is that receiving so much help, especially during that time? Um, And how did you, how did it change your perspective on not only being willing to give and serve others, but being willing to receive that as well? I think it just was able to help me feel a lot more empathy towards other people. Mm. I think before I had kids, I maybe had a little bit of a narrow vision, right? Like I said, I just thought, well, if you do things and you work hard, it happens. And then as you go through and you're experiencing kind of these things where you literally cannot do it alone. I could not have done those four kids alone. You realize, you know what? People are trying their best. They're trying their hardest. And sometimes it's just hard. And if we can help them and make it a little bit easier, why would we not do that? Mm. And I mean, I literally would be at church on Sundays when my kids were a little bit older and we were, and I'd have to just sit on the floor because I had three babies. You cannot be like <laughs> sitting in a chair with your arms folded when you have three one-year-olds and you're trying to manage church. And so now when I see someone and the kids are crying or they're acting up or they're screaming their heads off, I think I'm a lot less judgmental and I'm a lot more sympathetic wanting to just let them know like, Hey, I've been there. We've all been there. You're doing great. And hopefully being aware, I do get so busy sometimes that I think I'm in my own mind. I don't necessarily see other people's needs. So I love it when someone can kind of point it out because I love to help other people. And I, you know, you want to build other people up because sometimes mothering is like really, really hard. Some days it's really hard. It is. It is. And most people who serve others, I know that I feel this way when I'm reaching out to somebody. It's not because I feel bad for them or like look down on them like oh they can't possibly do it without me they're just like struggling I think like I love them and that's why I want to help them I want to step in because I love them they're my friend and there should be no guilt on either 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 party yeah and so when you're willing to accept that this is just a gift of love you know at the baby shower you're willing to open up that present right but you need to accept those gifts of love from people at all stages of your life well, I've just had so many times. I know after my fifth was born, he was born in December. So I have a four-year-old, three two-year-olds, and a baby. <laughs> and we come back from Christmas, and I've got to get my four-year-old into preschool, right? And, of course, his classroom is in the back corner of the campus, and they require that you walk in and sign him in every morning. And I'm like, why did I do 9 o'clock preschool? <laughs> so I have the big double stroller. I've got the baby in there. I've got two girls in one seat, and then I've got another girl in the handlebars. They're all in pajamas, hair a mess. And my four-year-old's, like, racing off. And it was just the worst part of my day. Because I was like, oh, and one mother who I didn't even know her name, but she had a child in my son's class. One day she was getting out of the car by me and she's like, you want me to take Seth in? I was like, would you mind? No, you don't have to. I can do it. And she's like, no, just let me. Oh my gosh. For the rest of the year, she would look for me. Even if she'd already taken her child in, if she saw me, she would be like, do not get your kids out of the car. I will do it. And she'd walk them in. And at the end of the year, I remember I wrote her a nice note and I got her a little gift and she couldn't, she's like, why are you doing this? It was no big deal, but she had no idea the impact it was for me. That small little kindness lightened my burden so much that I want to be able to do that for other people too. Not because, like you said, not because you feel sorry, but because it's no big deal for me to help them in that way. And if I can help someone else that I love, of course I want to do that. Yes. And I think we underestimate those small gestures and what it can mean. Mm -hmm. It was a huge, huge escapade and circus for you to get all the kids out of the car and walk all the way to the back of the preschool. I mean, I've done this. I have done this. And it is so hard. And when somebody simply says, because they have no other kids tied to them, 
Let right. me run them in. It will take me two minutes versus it would take you 15 and probably Just some get them tears. In and out of car seats. Yes. In and, out of car seats. and getting the stroller out. The simple act of just offering that and gosh. And so you don't have to do these grand gestures to support other mothers. Just the simple watching and observing where you can easily step in and lighten another's load, even incrementally. Ah, what a gift. It makes such a difference. Yes. And, you know, we're all trying our best and we do things different ways. And, you know, I really wasn't able to breastfeed. I did a lot of pumping or whatever. And... I'm like, you know what? Do what you have to do to make your family work. And let's not judge each other. Let's just build each other up. Mm. Did you ever feel, though, that pressure or that guilt to be a certain type of mother or to do all the things or to have your family look a certain way? For sure. I think everyone does. And I'm kind of glad my kids are older now because I think it's even harder with social media for the younger moms too. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you could see the days that we were all just in our footy pajamas with messy hair, you know, and, <laughs> and it was fine. I spent so many days when my kids were little, just in the middle of a crowded playroom, mm. you know, with toys everywhere. But you know what? That's where I needed to be. And the house wasn't perfect. But you do feel the guilt. I shared a story a while back about how one day I was at the park and I was watching my kids play and there was this mom that literally her body was just rocking. Like she had those legs and those felt arms and she had her one child there who was, you know, perfectly dressed. And I'm just like, wow. And my first gut reaction was to be like, wow, I don't look like that. And I was like immediately jealous, immediately resentful. And then I also started judging like, oh, she must never spend time with her child. You know, I was just so snarky in my brain. But thankfully, I'd been kind of working on this and really um, intentionally trying to shift not doing that, but then also just focusing on being the best mom that I can be and doing what I do best. And so instead of sitting there kind of you know, looking her up and down, which is so rude and embarrassing to even admit that I did that. I went over and I'm like, you look great. What do you do? Like, tell me what you do. Are you a runner? Are you do this? And she was so happy to share like what she did. And, you know, I'm sure she knows that she looks great, but like we all have insecurity. So to have somebody like point it out instead of feeling like somebody sitting on the park bench judging her, (laughs) like it was just such a win for both of us that day. And You know, so instead of judging somebody, complimenting them based upon the, obviously she put a lot of effort into it. And, you know, I would like to be recognized for things that I put effort into. And if I'm not putting that amount of effort into it, like that's my job to, to lift her up in that. (laughs) Well, I think it's an important thing for women and mothers that we embrace other people's gifts. Yes. Like sometimes you hear, oh my gosh, did you see those cupcakes that mom brought? Those mm-hmm. must have taken her 40 hours. Can you believe she would do that? <laughs> I'm like, if that lady wants to spend 40 hours on the cupcake and she enjoys it, we should encourage her to bring the cupcakes every time. Sure. Absolutely. And the person who can do this, let's let everyone be their best selves and bring their best to the table. And then those are not my strengths. That's fine. If you need someone to do the books or whatever, to count the money, that's me. So then call me for that instead. Perfect. And <laughs> then we can all be our best and that makes the whole experience better for everyone. So I'd love that you would go out and point out what this lady was obviously good about and make her feel good and encourage her in the things that she's strong at. Yeah. And then I learned something too. I haven't exactly put those things into action, but you know, it's there. The knowledge is there. Yeah. One step at a time, but at least I did the compliment part of it. That's good. And so I really am interested to know, you had a lot on your plate, five under five, they're getting a little bit older and you decided to go back to work. 
what drove that decision and then how did how did your priorities shift in the juggle how did that how did that all shift for you well i um because we had the infertility i worked for a number of years at a big firm and i always excelled in school as something that kind of came easy to me i really enjoyed it and i loved my job when i worked so i worked for about 4 years before we had our first and then i always figured that when I had children, I would stay home and be home because that's what my mother did. And she was an awesome mom, a great example. And then, um, when I was getting ready to have this baby, the partners of the firm kind of pulled me aside. They're like, we'd love to have you stay on. You know, you can do whatever you want. You can set your own hours. We'll do, you know, we'll make it work. And I was still kind of like, no, that's not, you know, when you have a baby, I'm going to stay home. And it was my dad who was like, well, why are you not doing this? He's like, you love your job. You're great at it it sounds like they're willing to work around your schedule. Why wouldn't you do that? And so I was like, Oh, that's (laughs) right. I do love this. Why am I not doing this? And so it was great because as I said, you know, that transition the first time was difficult and I'm glad I waited four months to go back to work because by then I'd kind of got my arms around. I loved motherhood. I remember driving that first day back to work and crying on the way to the babysitters because I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I dropped him off, which perfectly competent, wonderful woman. And I got to work and about 10 minutes later, I was like, oh yeah, I'd love this. <laughs> I'd love this. And it was a great, I had a great um, work environment. I could bring Seth with me to meetings with my staff, you know, take him to lunch and stuff like that. And it was very flexible. Well, obviously when I was going to have four kids under the age of two, it made no sense. I right. mean, it just didn't work. And so I took nine years off, but during that time, I always kind of stayed involved. I'm a CPA in training. So First, I was a treasurer for a foundation some friends started. And then when my kids were school age and we moved to California, I ended up joining the PTA and was the treasurer and the auditor for about six years. And I remember one weekend, something, someone had forgotten or messed up and I needed to redo all this work. And I spent like 20 hours doing all this work. And my husband's like, you know, you could get paid for doing this, right? (laughs) And so when my last child was going to school full time, I'm a person that if I have too much free time, I get nothing done. So I need like a little bit of structure and I'm sure I could have filled the structure with other things, volunteering or something else. I'm never, I'm not like really prioritize having an immaculate house. I mean, I try to keep an orderly house, but not immaculate. So, um, I just kind of started considering it and it just happened so fast. I saw this random ad. I kind of cold emailed this company and within a couple of days I interviewed and had the job. And I was going back to work. And you know what? I had a little bit of a panic attack right before I went back because it was such a big change. I've been home for nine years. I had all these little kids. And I remember I was like having this panic attack on the couch. And my oldest, who was just, you know, maybe nine or 10, he kind of laid on the couch by me and wrapped his arms around me. And he's like, Mom, it's okay. You don't have to go back to work, which was totally true. And it was just the words I needed to hear. But once again, just like that first time, after a day or so on the job, I was like, oh, I love this. Mm. And I have been so lucky because the company, I've been with them for about six years now. I have a ton of flexibility. And luckily, my husband has a little bit of flexibility, too, when something comes up. Because really, ask any working mom. And one of the hardest things about working is when you have a sick child. Because what do you do? They're not at school. And sometimes you still have... You still have to be at the office. I remember just a few months after I'd gone back, so my youngest was like just barely six, and it was still the school break, and I needed to go in for a meeting because I was presenting stuff, and he wasn't feeling great. And so I got a babysitter who stayed home. The kids were all home, and I came home, and he's like, Mom, moms are supposed to be with their babies when they're sick. 
And I just felt like I was going to die inside, that I just left him when he felt bad. But sometimes moms do have to leave when their babies are sick. Mm. And the kids were okay. And six years later, you know, when I asked the kids, like, do you feel like this is taken away? Do you feel like this affects you? They're all very supportive of my job. And I'm really lucky that the majority of the time I drop them at school or they leave for school and I leave for work and I'm home before they are. Mm. Yeah. And so there's tricky days. The best thing for me is I've got a great network of friends. So when something does come up and I'm at work and I need something happens with a kid, you know, I have so many friends who are willing to jump in and take someone for an hour or two for me because it'd be really hard to do it without them. But I'm so lucky to have this job that one, you know, it provides extra money. San Diego is an expensive place to live, but it's also a place that brings me like a lot of satisfaction and enjoyment. I, work with a great group of people that I really enjoy. I'm a person, if you're like talking about love languages, I'm definitely like words of affirmation for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, anyone and our, who has kids knows And our kids aren't kids great at that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I was joking like just a few months ago, I made this dinner and it was like so good. And all through dinner, I'm like, this is so good. And my kids are like, mom, that's kind of weird that you're like praising yourself. I'm like, nobody else is doing it. I got to say it, you know. <laughs> This is so good. So work for me is great too because that um, I do get a lot of that from there as well. And I think, you know, it's teaching my kids that you go after the things that, you know, you really go after your strengths and find things that bring you joy and that I can still love them and give them the attention. It's tricky sometimes to balance, but for the most part, you know, I, I really don't work a ton of hours. So I've been able to make it work, I think. Yeah. Okay, that's my favorite thing. Exact, and I do too. I'm like, wow, I, I did so great today. I vacuumed every, the whole house. Everybody, did anybody notice? No, nobody noticed. No, nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. So sometimes you have to be your own words of affirmation. You do. Oh, you, I'm really great. You do. Absolutely. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, I love what you said when you were talking about, you know, your child was pointing out to you, oh, I wish you were home when I was sick. But I think it's really important to realize how much we help our kids to interpret things that happen in their life. You know, there's mm-hmm. going to be kind of a default way of thinking, like mom should be here. Moms stay home with their sick kids. You know, that's kind of the default thinking. But if we can help paint the picture that if mom's at work, it doesn't mean she doesn't love us. It doesn't mean she's not thinking of us. If mom right. goes to work, it doesn't mean work's more important than us. It's our job to educate our kids on how to think about all things in life and There's going to be certain, you know, things that are harder for them to accept than others. And maybe, you know, leaving them on a sick day is one of those things. But helping them to realize how much we love them and that, you know, I don't know. It doesn't just have to mean a certain a certain thing. And as we educate them on this is what our family looks like. This is what we do as a family. This is what family time means. This is what our dynamic means. And this is, you know, mom goes to school parties or mom doesn't go to school parties. All these things, you know, we're really helping them to know. I mean, I don't even know what I'm trying to say with that. But you know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, because nothing's ideal all the time. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we don't have our way we want things. Like, Mm. of course I wanted to be there when my son was sick. Yeah. But does he learn a good lesson that we don't always get what we want? Yeah. He does when you get that. And that it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't mean that I don't love you. I remember one day he was complaining because I was missing like a field trip. Mm -hmm. 
and I had gone to every field trip with him. I'm like, you know, your older brother, I never went on field trips because I had four tiny little kids at home. You know what I mean? So sometimes we get kind of this really narrow vision and when we can help them kind of expand, like you said, to say, well, yeah, you know, it's not always fair or it's not always ideal, but that doesn't mean that we're not all trying our best. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't be there if I could. Mm. And it doesn't mean that you can't be okay without me sometimes to teach a little bit of independence too. Absolutely. And there's really, really powerful lessons learned from those types of things as well. So you're friends with Rachel Tolstrup, who was on the show. Um, she's actually the one that recommended you to me, which is just so great. I, I trust her recommendations because she's truly extraordinary. Um, but she talked about how, you know, with eight kids, she can't possibly be all the places all the time. And so she really had to identify, okay, for this child, class parties matter. For this child, right. basketball games matter. For this child, they want me to show up once a month to eat lunch with them. And so by identifying the one or two things that really are their love language or that, you know, really matter the most to them and prioritizing those things, it can really help alleviate, like, you don't need to do all the things. Maybe field trips do really matter to your children. And, you you know, you try and find a way to do that. But even still, there's times where it's not going to work. Do you do that? And, and I also talked to a working mom recently who I mentioned that to, and she's like, well, that's not even possible. Like, because I will never go to the class parties. I cannot do that. I'm like, oh. So how do you feel about that? Are you able to kind of determine those non-negotiables with your kids? I think you do. You have to look at each kid individually. I'm lucky because I work pretty part-time. So mm -hmm. I can still make, I try to make sporting events. I try to make class parties when I can. Luckily, when you get older, there's a lot less stuff in the middle of the day. Sure. The teachers don't want you there. So mm -hmm. that's actually made it a little bit easier to work. But I think as you're looking at your kids, having five, and especially having these multiples, you know, you kind of think people look at them as a package deal. It's interesting. Adults have a hard time telling them apart at first, although they look nothing alike. Kids never do because kids look at them as individuals. Mm. They are all so different. They have different strengths. They have different weaknesses. They have different needs. And so you kind of figure out, okay, this one needs a hug every day. They need the touching. He needs me to come lay by him in bed even, if, you know what I mean? Mm. Or this one needs me to reach him at night. And then sometimes the great thing about having siblings is they can kind of help fill those needs too. If dad and I have to be at work or if dad and I have a meeting or some other responsibility that's taking us away from the home. So you really do have to kind of identify what those special needs are for each kid. Mm, I love that. And in mentioning that the siblings are part of the community that contributes to the well-being of your children, right? So even just telling your five-year-old, go play with your three-year-old brother while I go take a shower. And giving them that responsibility and being like, I don't need to, you know, be hovering every second of every day. Like, I can delegate that to them and they can still feel seen and supported and, and whatnot. Hey, everyone. I wanted to take just one minute to thank our show sponsor, and that is Lunchbox. Okay, I just got one of these amazing lunch bags for my husband. He's starting a new job this week, and we were so excited. And he wanted a masculine, cool, quality lunch bag to take to work. And Lunchbox bags are the answer. So Lunchbox bags capture the essence of the Los Angeles experience with their colors, patterns, and styles reflecting real art around the city, real locations, and they have standard styles too. Like my husband got a black one, but his is called the La Brea after the La Brea tar pits. And we just think it's so cool because he's going to be working in downtown Los Angeles. So. Lunchbox bags are so well made. They're made with neoprene. They have a quality handle. They have so much surface area at the bottom. You don't need to put in your soup sideways. You can literally lay it flat at the bottom. They also sell ice packs. It's just a great company, and I want you to check out all of their cool styles. They're great for adults. They're great for kids, and I happen to know firsthand they are coming out with some kids' products, so get ready for that. 
If you want to check out all the Lunchbox styles, go to lunchbox.la, or you can look them up on Amazon, and I'll link to it in extraordinarymomspodcast.com show notes. This is literally the lunch bag I've been looking for, and I hope to introduce you to this new brand so that you can love it too. All right, let's get back to it with Courtney. So some of your children have had some learning disabilities and different challenges in that way. I've talked with a lot of moms that, you know, are really on the path of trying to figure out how to help their children and support their children through all of their different challenges, whether it's learning, whether it's social, whether it's just, you know, more difficult personalities sometimes. How have you found is the best way to approach accepting your children as they are right where they are? Yes, we want to help empower them and give them all the support and tools that they need to be successful. But what about today? How can we help them today? I remember I was going through kind of a difficult time with one of my kids and I just kept praying about what can I do? What should I be doing? And the answer that came back to me every time was your child just needs to know that you love them. Mm. And sometimes that can be difficult, especially if it's like not getting along or like sometimes when kids are facing challenges, even if they're not angry with you, they're just so frustrated in general that they take those frustrations out on you. And so whether it was like touching them or doing a special favor for them or whatever, I just tried to show in any way I could that I just loved them for whoever they were, even when things were bad, that they could always count on that. And that was the most helpful thing for me. Mm. That is, that is great. And what about when they're just unlovable? Like what did you physically do in that moment where maybe they are pushing back and maybe it is a trigger because they feel, you know, maybe they don't want to go to school because they're afraid of failing or something. And so as a result, they're pushing back and getting ready and getting in the car and it's just contentious. What do you physically do? A lot of times I'm just biting my tongue. I try to remain very calm. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I found that, you know, when the kids are already so amped up, that when we escalate, that just escalates everything further. Mm -hmm. And so that helps a lot in our family. And a lot of times it's listening. Sometimes I'm not listening, though, and I'm missing it. Like my son, who has dyslexia, I kept trying to buy all these books with characters with dyslexia, thinking this was going to be a great way to connect with them, and we're reading them. And he kept telling me he did not like books with kids with dyslexia. And (laughs) somehow I did not hear that. And so finally we're reading one and he just got so frustrated. He's like, it feels like they're making fun of me, mom, when you're reading, you know, when they have these characters. I'm like, that's not what it is. You know, this is connecting. And and I was like, I have not been listening. Wow. And so I just had to stop the book right then. And so sometimes obviously I'm doing it wrong, you know, and you have to ask forgiveness because I'm not handling it right. Hmm. But then you you make the change. But then you make the change and you stop buying the dumb books with kids with dyslexia (laughs) and you buy a book, you know, about a superhero or whatever is going to make them happy to read. Um, so, I mean, I don't do it right all the time. We have really bad days. You know, you have a bad morning before school sometimes and everyone just leaves feeling a little bit deflated. I think, Mm. I mean, I, I think that happens to most people. It happens at our house. Yeah. And then guess what? You don't give up. You just start again. You say sorry when you do something wrong. I think it's really important to model that to our kids that, you know, we're not perfect either. And you just try to find ways to connect, whether it's, I mean, I started watching TV shows before because the child really loved that TV show and it was something we could do together. Or you read a book together. Or if they like to be outdoors, you go on a bike ride or a hike. Or you just have to find things that will make them connect because when you have that time together and they're feeling happy and feeling comfortable because they're doing something they enjoy, that's when they're more likely to open up, I find. Mm, absolutely. 
what is something that you did when your children were young that you're really glad you did because it really bonded you and developed a great foundation now that your kids are older? Well, it's funny because when I wasn't working and when the kids were really little and I was kind of home a lot, I started some of these traditions like 25-day countdown for Christmas or making green pancakes for St. Patrick's Day. And sometimes now I kind of like am kicking myself like I do not have time for 25 days of Christmas or green pancakes today. Or, um, But when your teenager brings it up like, oh, I know mom's going to be making red pancakes tomorrow for Valentine's or whatever, then you know that that's cemented some kind of memory in their minds, right? And it helps you connect because I want them to remember because there are bad times. So you want them to have these memories that they know that I went this little extra effort because they meant so much to me that they can remember now. And so even when things are bad, they know that there are these things that we've done to show that we love them, to show that that they matter to us. I love that. That is a great, great tip. Courtney, you're amazing. You're so inspiring. I am still in the throes of young motherhood. I have an eight, six, and three-year-old, all little boys, and it's crazy town around here. I mean, we're just on the heels of potty training this week, so I'm I'm pretty pretty worn down. <laughs> Which I think is one of the worst um, events in all of parenting. That's what every even teenage moms they say potty training. You know, took the cake until you taught your child to drive. And then sitting in the yes. passenger seat when they're driving, you're like, okay, now it potty training has been replaced with the most challenging motherhood task. <laughs> Those are two of the worst for sure. <laughs> it's so funny, but I just feel so encouraged. And I just really see throughout your whole story how, like we just talked about, being intentional when they're young really sets the stage for great relationships and, you know, healthy family dynamics as the kids get older. And not that you'll always do it right, but that's not what's important. What's important is that your kids know that even when you don't do it right and when they don't do it right, you can apologize, you can try again, you can make it better, and you can do better next time. And I think those are all such powerful life lessons. Amazing. So I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's this, Courtney. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? That's a tough one, but I think I would tell myself that nothing is going to (laughs) be what you expect. As I kind of prepared for motherhood, I think I expected to have the same challenges I saw my mom have or the same, that my kids would deal with the same kind of difficulties that I had. And as I've mothered my five children, it's really been completely different. They each have their own challenges. And so I've had to make adjustments and that you have to be flexible. And overall, you have to be patient because one, motherhood doesn't always come when you want it to, Mm. which I found out through infertility. And then when it did come, it came in a way I never expected So you have to learn to just kind of roll with things and you have to definitely have a good sense of humor to get through some of the really long days and to really be able to enjoy and have fun with your kids. Mm, Those are great, great words of wisdom from an extraordinary mom like you. Thank you, Courtney, for sharing your motherhood journey, for talking with me on the show. I know my listeners are going to love hearing from your wisdom. Oh, thank you for having me, Jessica. Amazing. Have a great day. You too. I hope that was an edifying conversation for you like it was me. It was just such a great start to my day chatting with Courtney, hearing where she's been and where she's gotten to in life, feeling really secure and proud of her motherhood. Not that she's done everything perfectly or that she ever will do everything perfectly, but that's not the point. Extraordinary moms are intentional and they lead with love. And that is what I heard from Courtney today. So thanks for coming on the show. You can see 
cute pictures of Courtney and her family on extraordinarymomspodcast.com. And if you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at jessicadalquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Coming up this Friday, we have a very informative episode on sleep for you. Yes, it is geared more towards a younger audience if you have younger kids. However, some of these principles are just amazing. And Maria Paxson is coming on to chat about what she does to help other mothers to get their babies and their toddlers, and even a little bit older, to sleep through the night and develop healthy sleep habits. She talks about her own motherhood journey, her struggle with postpartum mental health struggles, as well as what role sleep played with her in that. Really, really fascinating. Marietta is awesome, and I can't wait for you to hear that. So thanks for tuning into the podcast today. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Leave reviews if you haven't already. I appreciate it more than you know. Have a great day and we'll see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.